everybody, welcome to Greg's Garage Pod with host Jason Pridmore, presented by Bike911.com. Alex Asante is your boy. Get some legal issues, need some contracts sorted at that time of year. Jason Pridmore, contracts are being signed, silly season. You know, people are like doing deals with new sponsors. If you need something done, reach out to our boy Alex Asante, Bike911.com. Well, birthday boy, it is uh, a week past your birthday. Did you get enough birthday wishes? Anybody yes. say anything about the podcast? Got a, I got a bunch. Yeah, they think you're an idiot. But that's uh, yeah. But did anybody say anything about the podcast? Yeah, they I mean, did. I know that. I know people yeah. think I'm an idiot. No, yeah. your your song choice, I think, was brutal. But it was appreciated on this end. Funny, it was appreciated. No, it it was a uh, it was a fun week. It just doesn't ever seem like I stop. It seems like uh, I'm 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 on the go a lot right now, G Dub. So uh, the all of the stuff starts out at Chuck Wall for me in November again. So I'm going to be busy starting up. Uh, I guess it'd be middle of November on, you know, get back out there. I didn't get to go there this in October because I was over with uh, the boys over in Portugal and Spain, which was, which was great. But, um, but yeah, just busy times right now. Yeah. Busy times for you. Yeah. I didn't get to take a look at the Chuck Waller results, but uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about that at some point. The CVMA race season that is, I mean, dude, I think it's like worldwide now. Like people know about the CVMA series because most of the stuff that happens in the Northern hemisphere is wrapped up or getting ready yeah. to wrap up. And so CVMA goes all winter long. And I don't think many people follow what's going on in, in the Southern hemisphere, a little bit of Australian Superbike, but I think CVMA is probably as popular. I think right now, you know, the first, the first race of the year for CVMA always seems a little bit light, even though they try doing double points and things like that. But I think everybody just needs like a, a month or two of cool off where, it's, you know, they just got done with a busy Moto America season or, or AFM or wherever they've been racing all, all, you know, summer. So now they, everybody just kind of recoups. And once they want to start testing or doing some things, they'll make their way out West and, um, they come out. I think Corey won the big race over, um, over Anthony Norton. I, I didn't really look at the results. Honestly, I was, like I said, I was on the weekend pretty busy. And, um, but yeah, and I know Dave Anthony won the super sport class, I think over Brendan Kettleson and Owen Williams, but yeah. Well, we got a lot to talk about on this podcast because coming up, we're going to have Max Flinders on this podcast. And if you're baffled as to why Max Flinders is on here, you won't be once we introduce him and, and really talk to him about it. In addition to that, on this podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about what's coming up. We have MotoGP Indonesia on deck for you this weekend and we'll talk about that and of course we're going to be talking about MotoGP fantasy but right now let's get into our news presented by Arai helmets made by the dedicated hands of those that work at Arai have shown examples of supreme protection for decades the numerous improvements by their experienced hands and personal desire to further the protection of riders' heads are among the many unique reasons our eye helmets perform the way they do. From our very first helmet to those we make today, rider protection remains our first priority, and we at Arise shall never forget the value of what we have been seeking to protect is priceless. Like Flinders' head, for one of them, you know? That's definitely priceless. We'll talk more about him, but... All right, Jay, we got some, some interesting news items to talk about on this one, because, well... There was some. I, here's the thing. Did we talk about Mark Marquez last week? I can't remember. I don't remember either. Yeah, it's crazy how I forget about what we talk about pretty quickly, and then people will remind me. But it's like you and I do these things, and we see what we're going to talk about, and then things kind of shut off. But but I can't remember if we. Anyway, we you should know yeah. by now. Mark Marquez is leaving, yeah. leaving reps all of, but there's been no official announcement on where he's going. But we all think he's going to Grassini. But there's been some other big news that broke last week, Jay. The day after we did our podcast, and that's Paul Espargo. It looks like he's out at Gas Gas. And they're bringing Pedro Acosta in to team with Augusto Fernandez. What are your thoughts on that? Because we actually did talk about this last week. And I know that you had thought, mm, probably keep Pole and, and they're going to punt uh, Augusto. But he's in. Well, they had already said that they're going to punt Augusto. Or somebody had already brought it up. And that's so it was I interesting. Too, yeah. yeah, it was interesting to see how that all worked out. I think... I think that when you look at big picture of it, though, I think that there was, I mean, for them to have five riders contracted and only four seats, I'm kind of wondering if there was something going on behind the scenes a few months ago where they figured there'd be a, maybe a third KTM team started. You know, this is, this is what you have to start to think about because there's still those entries that Suzuki holds, I think. And 
they were denied that. I, I can't imagine a company putting themselves in a position where they have five riders and four bikes. Um, I don't think I've ever seen that anywhere, like in any team, motocross, supercross, anywhere. So there was obviously some heavy miscommunication or somebody jumped the gun. I don't think that KTM wants to get rid of Acosta at any cost. I mean, it doesn't matter what it's going to be. They didn't want to get rid of him. Paul, on this hand, this this could work in his favor. I know he, he came out and said he still wants to ride. This wasn't a thing that he chose. But I wouldn't be surprised if he's if they paid him off a little bit, got mm. him a little bit extra money. He's still going to do like eight or ten wild cards or something like that. Like, is Paul, is Paul Spargo a championship contender? No, I don't think he is. So maybe he have the best of both worlds. He'll get he'll get to go testing with Danny Pedrosa on that bike. They're gonna have two quality testers, and then he'll do some wild cards. He'll get to do ten races. And from talking to some of the guys that I know race in MotoGP and Moto Two and all that, a ten race or twelve race series for Paul will probably be much better than a twenty one or twenty two, whatever it is they're doing. So he'll still get the benefit of riding the bike, still get paid some good money, and still get a chance to race. I I don't think it's that bad of a deal for Paul Spargo, to be honest. No, I don't think so either. And who knows after coming back from this last injury, if he's got a new perspective on things, maybe yeah. I mean, who knows, you know, so it's hard to they're going to know, they're going to know the best in the paddock. And you know what? This is racing. It's the business of racing, right? Out with the old in with the new. That's just but, the way it works. But we're seeing some unprecedented stuff. Like even the next stuff that you have here in, um, besides the Moto America stuff that you're going to talk about. But like, if we jump through to the rumors about Mark Marquez uh, his replacement now is Oliveira, you know, or, or there that that's not his replacement. That's kind of the word on the street right now is that Oliveira could get moved. And uh, Massimo Rivola has come out and said that like it's not happening. I read the same stuff you did this morning. <laughs> yeah. And these contracts now they've they're going to figure out a way to tighten them up because when you look at the movement that we've seen this year, you essentially had the two best riders in the history of their series literally jump out of their contracts. Johnny Ray jumped out from Cowie to Yamaha. Marquez jumps out from Honda to, to Grassini. And so like now it really comes down to what, what is a contract worth if you can jump out of them. And it leaves a lot of these, it's leaving a few companies in a mess right now. Honda obviously is in a mess because even there's, it seems like there's some infighting in, even in the Honda world because uh, Chekanella has said that you're not getting Zarco, we're taking Zarco at LCR no matter what. So it's it's a mess. It's a mess over there. And and I think that this goes back with the contracts and how are they going to get, you know, put together a little tighter. And there was some news that came out too that MotoGP's um popularity, both mm-hmm. from fan attendance and online, is back on the rise. Where it had started to dip, you know, during the COVID years, 21, 22, or yeah, all that time when Formula One started to really blow up uh they started to lose an audience and it's growing again and you know where there's money people get funny dude that's just the way it works right well but i but greg i've, I've never seen anything like what we've seen this off season any anytime i mean i don't i don't i don't recall seeing a rider that's contracted and jumping i i, I you know what you the, think pro- of a time, the can you think of a time that we've seen that no i mean zarko left he was like zarko was one of the yeah, first right he leaves his contract early but then he doesn't have anything and then he gets picked up but Maybe five races later. Right? Well, yeah, but you got to remember he rode a he rode a Suzuki during that time. I think he jumped on a Yamaha as well during that time. And and he, I mean, Pramac threw that guy a lifeline. And the fact that he got a Ducati ride out of all that was was crazy. And then you start hearing the numbers of what he got paid to ride for Honda over you know now now to me him jumping off to Ducati or jumping off to Honda makes a lot of sense when you consider he. he He's getting paid an exorbitant amount of money more than what he was getting at Pramac. And that's why he left. So I don't know if this is just an anomaly, what's going on right now, just because of how the situation is. Yep. And the fact that you have these two MotoGP seats that are vacant and that whoever's controlling them do not want to give them up. There is that rumor that started a few months ago, too, that Suzuki's looking to come back. Yeah. Who knows? It's it's a crazy time we live in, Jay, but I can tell you that I think part of what we're seeing has to do with the fact that with the current rules and with how close the bikes are, because if you really look at it, there's clearly two losers right now in MotoGP, Yamaha and Honda. They're just mm-hmm. not fast enough. They can't turn, whatever, whatever. But if you really look at the other bikes that are, lead, that are running up front, there are tracks or times 
when they're riders, like a Miguel Oliveira is a good example. Like when he's hot, he's hot. Mm-hmm. And that Aprilia at places is amazingly fast. So yeah. is the KTM. And obviously the Ducati is probably the one now that is as, you know, overall the best bike, right? In in the whole paddock because it's now doesn't have its, where it's not as good at some racetracks is massively reduced. Right. It's so good everywhere you go now compared to the other bikes. And I think that this has created the rider market where where before, if you go back to the day, it's like, okay, you know, Eddie Lawson's on this Yamaha. What other bike do you want to be on? Well, when yeah. McDoon was on the Honda, what other, everybody wanted to be on Repsol. And I think that that's some of the things that we see from the older riders like Paul Espargro, Jorge Lorenzo. All I wanted to do was be on the best MotoGP team in the paddock, Repsol, Repsol. Gets on there, career over. Yeah. Paul gets on there, uh-oh. Joan Mir gets on there, uh-oh. Right? Like, it's it's a thing where that was what we had when we were growing up because there were so few really good motorcycles. Now, there's so many good bikes and so many good choices. It's, you know, yeah. the, the the one thing that I think back to is a couple of years ago, Joe Roberts had an opportunity to go to an Aprilia to race a yeah. GP bike. Yeah, but it was a bad time then, and it just right, was because the bike looked like time. it was you like you never, you never know when things are gonna, you know, people clap their hands and things get better. It's it's easy to look back and say that Joe could could have been on Aprilia for the last two or three years, but you but know, who knows where he'd be now with the way the rider market is. He could have gotten one season or half a season, and you know, right? Yeah. Didn't that start with Petrucci? Didn't he get like right? What who was it that had got on the factory Ducati? Then COVID hit, and then they re, they they basically punted him after two races in the season. Was that? No, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I, Petrucci did. He did a full year on the Ducati factory team. Yeah, no, there was somebody who got on the bike, and then they were like, "All right, we've signed somebody else for next year," and it was only two races into the. Season. Oh no, but they they do that all the time. They yeah, like when Doha would come around, Doha used to be the opening race that are going to be talking about contracts and stuff for the following year. So that is true. Petrucci was on the team, and they'd already announced that they're going to be signing, you know, somebody else. I think it was. Didn't they have like a battle between uh, Martin and Bastianini when they were both riding at Pramac and who was going to get it? Oh yeah, that was yeah, all that one. stuff. So like it's it's interesting all the moves that are happening over MotoGP and things and and literally, I mean, if Yamaha loses Quattararo, I mean Honda, it, it, can you imagine if Quattararo jumped out of his Yamaha contract at the same time? <laughs> and then really, Honda and Yamaha are not anywhere on the map at all. There's nobody that's got a result on that bike on either one of those bikes in. Years. What's what's so interesting about the Marquez stuff is Mark Marquez going to Ducati is that Ducati is making it clear that he is not coming to Ducati, that Mark Marquez, if he goes anywhere on a Ducati, it's going to be with Grassini, that it was Grassini's choice. It was Grassini's the one who who went after him and Gigi Delini has come out and said it. And and um, somebody else from Ducati came out and said it. They're like, look, if he comes to Ducati, that's great. We got a problem because we got too many great riders, but we didn't pursue it. Okay. Grassini pursued it. This is a Grassini thing. And I think the posturing, because these teams have to work together, you know what I mean? Like Ducati and Honda and all these teams have to work together that I think that Ducati is trying to make sure that people understand that there's no bad blood between them because this has nothing to do with them as a, as a manufacturer. This has to do with Grassini. But therein lies my question. Where the hell is Grassini? getting the Brinks truck to back up to Marquez. Uh, it's hard to say. Well, you got to remember it's the Marquez brothers that that'll be, that'll be a thing that they'll be able to publicize and benefit yeah. off of in the sense that you don't think Alex was in there pining for his brother saying, Hey, I know we can get Mark and do this and that and whatever else, maybe get some new team sponsors. And no, there's such. gotta be, so, there has to be a team. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of that. There's going to be a lot of that going on. So, yeah. um, and I love all the rumors about, you know, Marquez has gone to Honda and said, did you see the latest one? If any of your riders finish top five in the championship, I'll come back to you guys in 2025. Can you imagine? Like, first off. Who said that? Mark said that? Yeah, it's, that was, I saw a report that Marquez had said something about, like, if. if and there's that rumor Honda again, ride, though, that Marquez so. is leaving for one year until yeah. Honda can get their stuff sorted out. And he's going to come back and take yeah, all the Ducati secrets with them. it. Yeah, it's it's, a, it's, it's wild. It's, it's wild, wild over there. We're yeah, in our paddock. Crazy. In our pad. Well, all right. Before we go on to that, real quick, Marco Bedzecki, Jay. He he broke his collarbone in a practice crash. He gets it fixed, and he has now said he's going to try to race in Indonesia here. And it's Wednesday, so you know where they are. It should be like twenty four hours that they're going to roll on the track. So, what are your thoughts about Bedzecki trying to trying to come back after breaking his collarbone? Well, it can be done, and this is the difference between somebody in a championship fight and somebody who's not. Because Marini broke his at. India and then skip Motegi. 
Um, and but Zeki broke his this week, and he's already you know apparently on the plane. Uh, would, yeah, it would be Thursday over there now, I suppose. Uh, Wednesday here, Thursday there. So um, I'm just looking now. Yeah, it's 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 11:30 at night over there right now. So mm. um, you know he would have flown in today, I would assume. But he's in the hunt for the championship, so he's got to kind of go see if he can score points. And what a horrendous time of the year to break a collarbone when you got three Grand Prix on the trot. So um, I think they go here, then they go to Philip, they go to Indo, Phillip Island, and then I th- I'm can't remember where that, is it is it Malaysia. So they got three in a row right now, three in a and row. Um, and he's still in the hunt for the championship. So if he didn't go, he's out. It would have been a two horse race for the championship at that point. So mm. I think that. Uh, that's why he's going to be there. And it's doable. I mean, right. You can ride with a collarbone, you know, you can ride with on. one. I remember 94, yeah. 92, 94-ish. I remember Pascal Picot. They had back-to-back races. One of those races was Pomona. I don't know if it was Pomona where he broke his collarbone or if he broke his collarbone before Pomona and then was racing. But I, I was a fan back then. I wasn't involved yep. in the series. I was just a little kid. I was probably half of the age of Max Flinders, as a matter of fact, mm-hmm. at the time, I would think. Yeah, I was probably yeah, Max probably wasn't even born in ninety. No shot. Yeah, in the nineties. Mm-hmm. No, he's got to be born in the two thousands at some point. Wow. Wait a second. He's twenty six. It's twenty three. He's born in ninety ninety seven seven. Close, 97? Max. Are we close? Six ninety six. Damn it to hell. Anyway, go. we see him. He's just not talking because he's waiting for us through this whole news segment. Yeah, he's probably bored out of his mind right now. Bedzecki's on my fantasy team, so let's go, Bedzecki. But we'll talk not, more about that after we're done with Max. So, Jason, let's real quick talk about a news story that broke on RoadRacingWorld.com, which is back at Circuit of the Americas, there were some fuel tested in the Moto America Medallia Superbike class, and the Fresh and Lean Progressive Yamaha failed that test. Uh, they did take samples of other bikes, but they ended up failing. So go check out RoadRacingWorld.com. But I do want to say this, the, the penalty for what happened hasn't been decided. There are a lot of stuff going around where people are like, I, I, I literally saw a comment that said, oh, they should be disqualified for the season because yada, yada, yada. All right, everybody calm down. All right, because <laughs> the one thing I will say is if the fuel for some reason didn't meet the requirements, it, they're 15-gallon drums. So you can't, you, you can't run a 15-gallon drum all year. If there was an additive to it, of some sort, because I don't know the actual like why why it failed or whatever. Yeah, I just yeah. know that basically what happens is they send a fuel sample to the manufacturer and they say, "Is this I don't know the numbers, Jay? You know, N two, whatever yeah. you know, is this N two fuel?" And they say, "No, it is not," meaning it's out of spec of some yeah. sort or another. Yeah. Then they send it to an independent lab. I, I don't know all that stuff, but I wanted to mention it only because whatever sanctions happen, they could give him a, a fine. They could take his points away for that race. They could just, you know, give him a warning. Like there's a lot of stuff, read the article. But the one thing that people are not talking about is there is a new fuel spec for VP fuel that we have. And basically if you go and you look at the FIM rule book, which is what our fuel is based off of, there are ranges of the elements that are involved. Like, I don't know, something that creates oxygenation and blah, 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 blah. And from what I understand, like a couple of days after the last race of the year, there was a tech bulletin that went out and teams have already started to purchase the fuel. You can get it through VP because they've already started testing for horsepower, engine specs, uh, all the crap, you know, whatever, Jay, you know, cam timing and yep, all this yep, stuff, yep. detonation and all the crap that goes along with it. And I know Stambul is listening to this right now, shaking his head going, God, Greg, you don't know anything about engines. And he's absolutely right. However, I can say this, that from what I understand, the teams that I have talked to about the new spec fuel that VP came up with for Moto America, it kind of maxes out a lot of the limits that are in the FIM rule book, which, which is great for the teams because of how they want to build motors. Number one, Jade has the potential with the new World Superbike rules that are coming in for World Superbike to make us the fastest superbikes basically in the world. Mm-hmm. And number two, that the quality control of this fuel is going to be a lot tighter than it was for, for VP. Now here's the guy, this is the the rub, I guess you can say for guys like Max Flinders and, and the privateer teams, the cost of the, of a gallon per fuel is going to go up a dollar a gallon. Mm-hmm. Now, most teams are running 15 gallons a weekend ish, you know, something along those lines. So the total cost for the weekend is, is going to be pretty nominal you know, 15 bucks, 20 bucks or whatever. So it's not that big of a deal, but it's going to be exciting to see what teams do what with what fuel and all that stuff. It's one of the things like if you buy an alpha bike, you know, BMW, if you buy a, you know, a Ducati Corsa bike, like that Warhorse has, 
there are adjustments that have to be made to the electronics, to the timing and stuff to, to account for that fuel because of issues that can come about with the fuel detonation and so on and so forth. So this fuel aligns us more with what World Superbike has in terms of fuel, in terms of the specs. Now, World yep. Superbike's a lot different, as you know, Jay, because there is no fuel, one fuel supplier. Right. And that's a that's a huge issue in regulation where, you know, I think like Kawasaki might be Elf and yeah, right. you know, Ducati might be Shell. I don't I don't know all the specifics. So but the reason they're able to do that is because they say this element, this element, whatever's in the fuel, this is the spec. This is the range of which they should operate in. So anyway, it's a bummer that Fresh and Lean Progressive Yamaha got pipped for that stuff. Uh, FIM North America and, and AMA will deal with that. They will issue whatever they're going to issue. And to me, the issue is kind of dead because we have new fuel spec and we kind of move on from there. So Interesting, yeah. Yeah, I don't really have any comment. I think it's one of those things where, you know, like you said, they come in 15-gallon drums. Do you get a bad batch of fuel? Do you, you know, you just never, you never really know. It's a part of the world of our sport that I'm not involved in. So I'm, you know, it's, uh, and you're going to get all the haters out there just wanting to tear down whatever happened uh, with that team and with that fuel spec. So, yeah, it's it's uh, it's shame that it all kind of went down the way it did. Yeah. But anyway, that's our news presented by Arise. So now we have the opportunity to welcome in a racer. He's on a yellow bike. He runs number 88. He's 26 years old. It's Max Flinders. Max, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here, man. Hey, guys. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Happy belated birthday, Jason. Thanks, uh, Max. Thank you. <laughs> I heard Greg put on a show for you, so that sounds good. They <laughs> did. Nobody could see the strip tease though when the music was playing, so, <laughs> so their eyes aren't bleeding, Max. So that's good, you know. Was yeah, wondering. Jason was the one stripping, not me. Let's let's uh-huh. just get that clear. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So Max, th- there's a there's a reason we're having you on this podcast, uh, and the reason isn't as simple as your last result of the season of 2023. I mean, you're a guy who's been at the racetrack a long time. You always have a smile on your face through the ups, through the downs. I've been in your paddock before after you have absolutely bounced off the pavement several times and still, even in pain, had a smile on your face. But before we get into all that, Max, because you actually got your first Moto America podium in fine style, you raced for it, you had some of the biggest names in the sport behind you, a legend in the sport behind you, you raced for it, it was an amazing race. You were only a 1.4 seconds behind the guy who won the national championship in that race. And there's so many stories in there, but let's go back in time, Max. Let's talk about you. Okay. Where are you from originally? How did you get into motorcycle racing? Give us the rundown. So I was born in a place called Preston in England. And um, literally when I was born, I, I was kind of just put into motorcycle racing because my dad named me Max after Max Biaggi. And uh, so he's been a fan of racing his whole life. My sister's named Alex after Alex Crivier and just <laughs> continuously, we're a motorcycle family. So um, I kind of grew up and I started riding bicycles when I was like one and a half. And then when I was two, I was onto this like electric bike thing and uh, not like what they have today. But And then when I was three and a half, my dad uh, put me on a PWW. He said, if you can ride your bicycle all the way through the yard, back and forth without your hands, you can ride the bike. And I practiced for weeks and I finally was able to do it. So um, That seems kind of random, doesn't it? Like your dad just, all right, if you can uh, ride your bike with no hands, that'll (laughs) show you have the skills to ride a motorcycle. All right. All right. At this time, he was uh, he was pushing my sister for racing a little bit, so she was on the bike. So I didn't really have a bike, but my dad just wanted to make sure I had the you know the balance and coordination. And then my sister kind of started dropping out of it, and then I got the peewee, and we kind of went from there. And uh, we went to my first grass track race, and we pulled up, and it was kind of insane. Everyone was on like fifty KTM two-stroke screamers, and I was on a PWW fifty man, and it, it was not fair whatsoever. <laughs> But I didn't know, so I just took off, and we're going, and uh, they made some ruts and stuff. And I remember my first race, my front wheel was too small to get through one of the ruts, and it just caught, and I did a front flip and just face-planted. I was crying. My dad ran up to me, picked me up, and he goes, smile at your mom, smile at your mom. So I'm like, <laughs> coming down my face. And uh, the, the organization did something really awesome that day because uh, we went back um, – and uh, they gave me a trophy for the best crash of the day. So um, <laughs> nice. it was kind of like 
to keep you into it. And the next day, my mom's like, I don't think he'll want to do it again. And I was up at like 4 a.m., like dressed, motocross gear, everything. Like, let's go. So it kind of went from there. We kind of kept pushing. I won some uh, I won some races in the 50cc um, championship that year. And then we went to 65. And then I won the championship that year. And then the next year, I went undefeated. I think we had about 106 races. I went undefeated the whole year, won wow. those championships. Um, then I went to 85, won those championships. And, and now, Max, just, sorry, this whole time you're in the UK? Yeah, this is all um, grass track in the UK. So it's like, it's equivalent to flat track, but it's on a grass field with knobbly mm. tires. And uh, normally cows have just been in it. So you end up with cow muck all in your teeth. After. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I learned to win, man. If you're at the front, you're not getting cow stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Motivation. But yeah, man. so... But everything kind of pushed me toward road racing, man. Like, me and my dad were watching MotoGP all the time. We are watching BSB. We are watching World Superbikes. Like, that's just what we want to do. And my dad got an offer to come uh, work in uh, America. And in America, you could get on the, the track when you're 12 years old. In England, you can't eighteen. And uh, he was like, "Let's, you want to take a shot? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. So we came over here. We did some flat track. Uh, I got third nationally in my first championship behind jake lewis when i was like i think 11 and uh nick mcfadden i think as mm. well and, um so those guys I've, i met those when i was 11 and i actually showed up to my first flat track event with knobbly tires because i had no idea what <laughs> I was doing and everyone was laughing at me but i kicked some of their butts so that was kind of cool but um then we went to the slicks but the traveling in america compared to england it was it's ridiculous like it's the place is massive so we were bouncing all over the country doing flat track and dad's like we're gonna spend this much money doing road racing anyway so you want to just hop into it and that's when the marawaki just came out mm-hmm. and uh yeah the marawaki 250 so we my dad surprised me with that from christmas i freaked out the first time i rode it was uh he's an aeronautical engineer so we got uh, he, he shut down a runway at the airport and I rode the bike up and down the air run the airstrip with him on his R6 and that was the first time I hit 100 miles an hour so that was freaking cool and then I went in racing at USGPRU and I was I mean I was racing with great guys who were still around I mean I was I was the youngest one at the time but I was racing with Nick McFadden, Jake Lewis, Gerloff, Stefano um, all of these guys were on the USGPRU 250 Marwakis at the time and I went there with them and they kind of left and I was growing and I was kind of kept, kept playing catch up. I won a couple championships. And then when I was 16, I hopped on a, a 600 and we went to the AMA and I did my first race at New Jersey. And I think I finished eighth because it was raining and uh, I was actually catching Valentine the Beast at the end of it. And my dad was freaking out, but then they red flagged it. That was bummer. But then, uh, after that, my dad kind of stopped me. He's like, look, I'm tapped out. I got nothing left. I've given you everything I can. You need to find a team. And that's when uh, Tim came along. And uh, he was like, hey, look, we're trying to do a team next year. We're going to put you on a, in the, what is it, the XR 1200 Cup. I was like, let's do it. And then the next year, they canceled that whole series. So they were like, oh, well, we still want you to race something American. So what's the only other American bike out there? And it was the uh, EBR 1190. 90RX. Yeah. yeah. So they got one of those. And, I, dude, that bike was a hoot, man. That so thing good. was gnarly. Yeah. So I had a blast on that. But we literally raced it the first round at Coda, which was like the first ever Motor America race. I was the first person to ever do a lap for Motor America on the EBR. You were the first and, one out of the pits? Uh, yeah i was literally nicole has a video of me coming across the line and it's like first person from Motor america and it was me on the ebr so it's like super cool and then um yeah we i totaled the bike that weekend really bad <laughs> and then uh what a story and then EB, and then ebr went bankrupt and they're like nope we're out sorry so now we have a bike with no spare parts and no backing and nothing so at the time dude the yamaha was was it like yeah this is 2015 right 2015 the yeah, first year of america the yamaha was dominating it was it was crazy good so we were looking at it and it only made sense so we kind of jumped on yamaha and then being a small team we just stayed with them because every year we get a new part or new this new that new that and uh we built up such a big 
catalog of Yamaha stuff now. Like people are like, why don't you just go change to something else? I'm like, dude, you don't get it. Like we have all this. If we go to something else, we got to do it all again. And we're going to start from ground zero. And it's just not quite there. But yeah, since that day, the team's been pushing me real hard. This year I got to race in the baggers as well. Um, someone else gave me a chance. So yeah, it's it's been a crazy year there's so many stories you know how it is being racist yourselves there's so many things to talk about but yeah man I'm born into racing <laughs> did you hear what he said jay i know i hate to even that? put us in the did same category that? he just I said it. no he max. just he said it though max. he said it so yeah, now but, max is my but, favorite racer of all time yeah okay. but max, <laughs> max you're gonna learn really quickly you gotta he watch said, what you he said on racers the yourselves yeah. racers yourselves Okay, he so he lumped he, us in. He rode, he rode Max. He just never he raced. Rode, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Professional, you know, OG right here. And then, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Greg is something. Yeah. Man, I have a man <laughs> crush on Max. That's great. Thanks. Thanks for doing that, Max. Well, let's go back a little bit. So in 2015, uh, before the baggers, what classes were you racing on? So basically, you're racing on the Yamaha R1, but what classes are you racing on? And here's the other question, dude. Have you thought about how many races you've actually raced up until the last race at Jersey? Dude, I have no idea. It's, it's got to be hundreds at this point, right? Yeah, it's tons and tons of for sure. Um, like I said, uh, since the start of Motor America, I think I've only missed one round where Barrett Long um, stepped in for me when mm. I grinded off my finger at yeah. um, Atlanta. So other than that, I've been at every single race. I think I started nearly every single race too, so it's a lot but and that's also yeah, no, you've been started, in all super bikes since the beginning or no i started in stock thousand thousand um with like skulls and all them and okay. uh uh we did stock 1000 i think the first two years and then motor america changed the rules and said if you've been doing stock 1000 we're getting rid of it the only way you can compete is if you step up to super bike mm -hmm. so we pretty much stepped up i don't know if it was the second year or the third year we went jumped into the super bike and I mean, our bike was still stock. It was, it was nothing compared to the super bikes. We just, we wanted to still be in the show and we wanted to keep getting my name out there. I mean, unfortunately, you know, the list of, uh, slots for riders is very, very short in the paddock. So like I've been trying to, you know, you, you keep saying the smiles, the walking around, talking to people, just keep my name out there. So, you know, one day, you know, if someone, isn't able to ride like Cam Peterson. I mean, I would have absolutely loved an opportunity to go ride on the, the Yamaha with attack. I mean, that would have been sick, but, um, you know, some opportunities just pass you up and, uh, we're just hanging out here, making sure that I'm still here, but, you know, being that, uh, in it for so long and, uh, being like, this was my first podium since the start of it. You know, you get your doubts during it, and uh, you, sometimes you question if it's you, if it's a bike, if it's a team, if it's a combination of both. You know, it's a it's a rough sport sometimes. <laughs> well, I think you know, I, I wrote a bunch of notes down. That kind of goes into what I was thinking earlier. You know, Max, you're in a class where, when you're privately funded, superbikes by far the hardest class to try to get that podium. You know, I mean, how many nights awake have you laid? in bed over the last seven or eight years dreaming about getting a podium, right? It's it's every day probably, correct? That's the start, man. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people that 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 when they put their head on a pillow in the evening, they think, you know, is it me? Is it the bike? Is it when it comes down to it, a lot of times it's funding, it's not having the right stuff. It's like putting yourself in a position to succeed can be difficult in racing in any series that you go to in the world. It doesn't matter where it is. Um but it's like the super bike choice that's the hard one because you guys are doing it on your own weekend and week out. And even though you're getting this influx of new parts and things like you talked about earlier, getting new, new things, you're still always going up against factory stuff. Is there, have you intertwined yourself with anybody within the Yamaha like world, whether it be, you know, the Westby's, you know, Westby team or attack or the parts um, and stuff that you're getting, where are you getting, where are you getting most of your stuff? Um, honestly, we've been, uh, my, we have a contact over D, uh, GTR Yamaha in Europe. So mm -hmm. we, most of the people we try to talk to is them because, you know, I mean, their bikes, top racks compete, well, not them, but Gerloff was competing at the front on that bike. Yeah. So like, they, they can make a Yamaha. So we've been trying to keep in touch with those. We go over to attack all the time. I mean, attacks made some amazing things with the, the chassis, uh, geometry change to the rear swing arm i mean we got that 
at the end of last year and it gave me the grip that I've been dreaming of since we like started. Um, mm-hmm. So we kind of go over and talk to those guys, but I mean, like it is, it's just funding. I mean, they say, yeah, we can do this and this and this for you, but it's going to cost this much. And we yeah. even went to Westby, I think, in the third year, and we're like, how much is it going to cost for us to join your team and like be a part of like this and you guys help us out? And they said, you're not going to be able to afford it. Yeah. So it's kind of a bummer like that. And then like we have times like this this year. I mean, we had we got an attack Yamaha engine for the road america round and we spent i think about 16 grand or something on it um i got a sponsor a private sponsor to help me out and uh unfortunately the motor lasted 40 miles and that was it so that was a huge chunk of our money and time and effort into that and then we were back on the bike that's done a whole season and four races this year that's you know the horses have escaped from this thing big time so it's yeah, they uh left it's, the barn a long time ago yeah it's we talk a lot but it's racing i mean it's competitive i mean i just like to tell you in the back of my head i'm like they're scared of me that's what it is, that's <laughs> what it is. yeah but results wise was this one of your best seasons you've had in the superbike class because i mean i saw you in the top 10 a lot this year yeah i mean i luckily we've been on this bike for so long now it's it's not got the best stuff it's not got the most horsepower but it's set up well for me i mean it's that we don't have the electronics to help us out with all that funky stuff like all that but the bike i can take that bike through a corner i mean i've been behind people and i've nearly hit them with like my mid corner speed and it's just I was able to really use that to my advantage this year where other people are like different teams learning new things. And I was just comfortable and ready to go. And uh, yeah, we pushed the, I pushed the bike as hard as I can. I mean, my finishes are, I think that's the best the bike can do. Um, But yeah, I mean, we were in a goal is to get top 10 and we were in top 10 at most of the races. I think Pittsburgh was probably my worst race because we were having some big issues there, but yeah, no, I think we've, and we finished top 10 in the championship too. We just passed Cam Peterson at the end, which unfortunate for him, you know, his wrist injury. He, I know how amazing he is at riding. So no disrespect there, but it was really cool to pass him. And then uh, JD Beach was chasing me and uh, at the end as well. And so was Brandon Posh. So to stay in front of those guys and pass Cam was really cool to stay in the top 10 for the championship as well. Let's talk about baggers. How did the whole bagger situation come about? What's the team? And how did you end up putting yourself in the position that you were in at Jersey? Yeah, I mean, the I got a call over Christmas last year and um, from one of my old sponsors, uh, his name's Mike, um, and he actually started working for Motor America now. And they were, he was at the AIM Expo and he ran into Brandon, who runs the M3 Motorsports team. And he he was like talking to different riders, talking to Nolan. He was talking to Hunter Dunham and that. And Mike is a big advocate of mine. And he was like, have you thought about Max Flinders? And he goes, who? And he was like, come on, just look him up. So the dude looked at me up. He's heard all the positive things that people have been saying, saw my social media, everything. He liked the look of it, called me. He goes, hey, man, if you want the ride, it's yours. I was like, yes, <laughs> I'm like, let me call, let me call Tim. But yes, I'm, I'm definitely more track time, more exposure. And the bagger class is growing so fast. So it's like, let's do it. So it just kind of happened. And then we went to Daytona and it was my first time on the bike. Dude, it was so embarrassing. I got on this thing and it's so wide that I literally just sat on the bike. I'm ready to go out and I lift my foot to put it in gear and the top of my boot clicks the gear lever and i just <laughs> launch forward and fall over literally the <laughs> first time sat on the bike oh and I'm no like, dude what wow. did i just do they're gonna fire me today like it's not good <laughs> but then i mean then i lost my brakes going into turn one so i guess we were kind of even after that <laughs> that's so, the way of getting back at you crash yeah, our bike yeah. in the pits we're gonna no, give you no brakes no brakes <laughs> <laughs> so and then we just kind of progressed i mean this team they won a lot. They've they've had some good riders on their team. They had Hawk. They had Frankie, you know, and uh, just wanted to keep progressing. So they had me come on the team, and they were learning the Indian, and we just kind of progressed through the year, and it kept getting better. And then Laguna, man, I felt 
really good on the bike. I mean, even in when we we're doing qualifying, you guys, is that Max Linders in fourth? Like it was yep. it was feeling so good. I was really making the thing move. But then unfortunately in the races, um, we had a ground clearance issue going through I forgot what turn it is, just before you go up the back hill before um, Turn six. Turn the six dip, and the dip there. I hit it the first day, low sided. Second day, low sided. And it was like nothing i didn't feel anything it's just like i went and the front just disappeared so mm. i lost a little confidence in it then and then we've been working to get it back to where it was but new jersey man i feel like i was a little lucky being in the superbike race before but i went out rain tires i like it when it's like a little wet a little dry on rain tires because i know the rain tires are going to grip because it's dry i know they're going to tear up because they're going to get hot but it's a gradual like slip. It gets worse and worse and worse, but you feel it the whole way. So I'm kind of used to that. And I went out and I was like, you know the track better than anyone right now. You just got off it, start pushing. So I just went and I started in 10th and then uh, I passed somebody in turn two and then I was chasing down Jake Lewis and I accidentally hit him in one of the back corners. I just gave him a little love tap by accident. By and, accident, uh, sure. By accident. Mm. And I got past him, and then I was on to the next guy, and then Rispoli went off track, so I was able to get by him. And then I was just like, man, I was waiting for somebody to come back at me. You know, like, I was like, okay, these guys are following me now. They're going to see what I'm doing. I was waiting for that, and nothing really happened. So I just kept catching. Next minute, I was on Travis Wyman. I passed him around the uh, the outside in – what's the left-hander there? Is it turn five? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, so I passed him around the outside in turn five. Then I was catching Bobby. I passed him the same way. And then I was on to McWilliams. I'm like, dude, how, what is going on? <laughs> like, I didn't I didn't really feel uncomfortable. Everything just was clicking. I was comfortable. Like, I didn't really feel like I was pushing super hard. It's just I knew what I could do. And the bike was slipping and sliding and going we everywhere. We saw that, yeah. We, 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 yeah. we caught a glimpse of that every now and then. But, well, um, Max, I got I got to interrupt you real quick because there's more to it that I wanna I wanna ask you questions and you're bringing up you're bringing up the race and you know for Greg and I weeks out we'll look and see what the race schedule is you know and after Coda we knew we were going to Jersey and the big discussion is we've got three guys within three points or eleven points of the championship wasn't it Greg between yes Gillum and Raspoli and, and Kyle Wyman and so from our perspective it's like well it's going to be a good way to end the season. Oh wow, the bagger race is the last race of the year as well, you know? So so when Greg and I were looking at it, it's like, all right, you know, this is gonna be good. And and for me personally, the baggers thing was a bit of a novelty when it started. I wasn't that into it. Um, I was more into the names of the people that were getting involved. Um and now it's like um I've gotten to be really good friends with 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 Kyle uh Wyman and so you know, we'll be on the golf course. He's telling me all the stuff to do into these bikes and how incredible they are. And looking at the lap times that you guys are turning now, I would go like, wow, it's like there's something about them. Um, but what are you doing there, Greg? You okay? Good. Yeah. Just, are you sure? Yeah. Just drinking some water. Yeah. You look like you're choking on something. Um, <laughs> so anyways, the thing is, is that, is that, um, for, for me going to the last race, I'm like, oh, it's going to be pretty interesting. You got two Vance and Hines bikes and this and that. What, what, what threw everybody off, the best thing was is I'll always remember that race for your podium because seeing the podium celebrations of your family, friends, fans, that kind of thing um, is kind of, I guess I, I guess I could say I remember first podiums and what that was like for me. It was, it was and it, for me watching you ride that race. I was getting all the feels of like, here's this kid. He's in third place. And at that point, Hayden had the championship kind of locked um and greg and i were sitting there calling this race and i'm just i was literally laughing the whole time because i'm like poor max's neck's gonna get strained or broken from him turning around so much it was like you were in this <laughs> position that you always wanted to be in but it was almost like a disbelief thing and it's like when's this checkered flag coming out did you did you get some of that feeling oh no you called it like it was, <laughs> it, was it was amazing like when i got into i was behind hayden i'm just like dude you're on the podium. There's two guys in front of you. You've got the guy who's won the most races this year, which is Kyle, and you've got the guy who's winning the championship right in front of you, and yeah. you're catching them. You were, yes. Like, 
and yeah, it was it was surreal. It really was. I I, I didn't know what to do. And I had like a devil angel moment. I was like, this guy's like the devil's like, dude, you gotta catch these guys, pass them, win the race. And <laughs> yeah. The angel's like, dude, you deserve a podium. Your team deserves a podium. Just bring yeah. it home. And um, I came around the corner, and I, dude, I had so many moments. And oh yeah, we saw those. <laughs> I came, came, I came under the straightaway, and I looked over at my team, and uh, they are just going, slow down, big gap, slow down, big yeah. gap. And like, and the thing is, like you said, there's big names behind me. You got McWilliams, you got Bobby. Like they were right behind me, and I know how good those guys were. So the reason I was looking back is like I didn't believe they weren't catching me. They right. said big gap, but in my head, I'm like, no, dude, they're good. Like, I burnt my tire out so fast in that race. Like, mm-hmm. I was, I had nothing left at the end. I was just maintaining, trying to stay with Gillum. And I was like, dude, they're going to catch me. They're going to catch me. I was freaking out. So they're, I was looking back. And, like, I watched back, and, it, dude, I looked like an idiot. <laughs> I'm oh, hey. All the time. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, every corner, you think that you can still hear them. Did you have a pit board, or were they just giving you gaps by using their arms? They were doing gaps with their arms, but mm-hmm. then most of the time I was coming around, they were just cheering. So I really had no idea. Thanks, yeah. They did do the, <laughs> they did a big gap once, but every other time they were just like, yeah, go, go. Yeah. So, I think I said in the telecast, Greg, I said he's catching Hayden, and Hayden's not going to want to, like, Hayden wouldn't have, I don't think he would have engaged very much if you would have gone by him somewhere. And, you know, how many times have you replayed that race in your brain? Like, of probably a million times, yeah? The whole way home, I don't think I slept that night and watched the race about 15 times since. Yeah. Yeah, it's like with the volume off, like, with the volume off or the volume up. Yeah, you don't want to listen to Greg. Oh, mm. oh no, I li- I like the comments, man. <laughs> Dude, I, I'm Did not you? joking. I, I I will never forget. I don't think I'll ever forget that race and all the races that I that I've done in yeah, the years I'm as a saying. commentator, right? Because I just remember thinking, you have Kyle Wyman, who's won a ton of these races, former champion. Is that a rough weekend? He's going to win this race. That's a story. After the fact that he, you know, basically. The, the, the warm-up lap crash through the championship, possibility of a championship day. boy. Yeah. You have Hayden Gillum, who's literally going to win this championship. Big deal. Two championships in a season. How long has it been? Since? And then there's you. And I remember thinking to myself, and I don't know if I said this on the broadcast or not, but I remember thinking to myself, man, I am really laying it on thick on the 88 stuff right now. But I just, <laughs> I just kind of like, that was, I try as a commentator not to be personal at all. I try to. Right. I'm I'm personally attached to this sport. I have some history in the sport, both on and off the racetrack. But in this particular case, I'm like Jason in a way. I've never experienced an AMA podium before, but I always thought about it. You know, in the five years that I raced AMA Superbike Series, I thought about it all the time. And I was way back there, you know, and 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 Jason knows I endlessly tell stories about my results and things, apparently. And uh <laughs> but you know, my, my claim to fame in my brain is I have two top 10 finishes, like top 10. Yeah. I don't know where in my life top 10 became good enough because it's certainly not good enough now, like what as, a, as, a, as an archer and stuff. But I still hang my hat on that. And I remember my first top 10 finish. And I remember my family being, it was loud and being on pit while doing the same thing. We, I had no pit board back then. And so I'd come right. around my, and Jeff White, my brother, standing right at the entrance of, of pit in at Loudon, holding his arms like wide, going like, ah, Keith Marquez is behind you this far. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means, man. You know, because I kept looking back too. But a but a podium finish with knowing how how hard no you attrition. guys there was no attrition. That was the best part. That was no is, attrition. Yeah. And I think that's something that you and I talked about. Because I'm like you, Greg, like we call these races Max, and I don't even know how many years we've been lucky enough to do it now. I mean, I love I love the job because I want to see new talent come through and it's it's a lot of fun for I I want to make it to where I don't know if we'll ever get there, but road racing back when I came through and when Greg was riding, even it was were really good times. Like there were every, everybody could make a living, and it was really nice. And it's like I think that the common goal for Moto America is they want to, you know, they're they're kind of uh, they they, they want to build the sport back up in America, and that's what they've been doing. But for eight years, there's certain races that I really really remember calling. Um, the TV thing for me is is interesting because I I still feel like I'm a racer. You know, I don't feel like I'm a TV guy. But your your podium, I came out of that booth on Sunday just feeling awesome. And I remember thinking to myself, I have to see Max before I leave. That was like the thing for me. And I ran into Chuck Asklin at the base of the stairs, thanked him for another great year. And I'm like, how about that last race? Like, 
So, like, I think what Greg was even getting at is you got Kyle in front, Hayden winning the championship, and the talk was about you being on the podium. That was, yeah. I still you know, think it's so, so cool. funny because, like, Gillum did he won the championship that race, <laughs> yes. and like he came up and he was so happy for me. And I don't think it was until they put the microphone in front of his face that he like kind of comprehended. Yeah, yeah. I saw Kyle do the same thing when you came Kyle. in. Kyle came in and was like, gave you a huge hug and stuff. So when, when did you start crying? <laughs> I've been around, I've been around a lot of motorcycle racing, Max, a long time. I've seen a lot of tears flow of, of joy, of disappointment. You had to have cried at some point. Was it, when did you start bawling or did you ever? Um, I don't know. Like it was, it was kind of when my dad came and saw me. Cause oh, so you made it the dad, whole war, you made it the whole cool down lap, and you were fine. Yeah, dude, I I still couldn't comprehend what was going on. Like yeah. I I I wish I don't wish actually no, because it will look bad. But if the camera was on me, dude, I look like one of those inflatable noodles out of side car. <laughs> like my arms were just flailing. I didn't know what to do. Like I was celebrating like an idiot, <laughs> but I was just so Great. happy. And all I was thinking about was like what just happened and how it happened. And even I just finished it and I was replaying it in my head. And like I came in and the team's grabbing me and everyone's cheering. And like, luckily I've built up such a great fan base over the time. They've always been like, you'll get there, you'll get there. So when it finally happened, they were all there. And like, I was such like, so overwhelming. And then everything kind of stopped. And my dad was like, Hey, and I turned around and he goes, how the, did you do that? And then like, I just picked him up <laughs> and like, he just starts tearing up. And that's when I started crying, but I still have my helmet on. So it, it never happened. No one it's cool. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. <laughs> it's cool. It's cool. It's cool. You wear an awry. You do wear an awry, right? I do. Of course. Yeah. Best helmet out there, man. Of course. But was it a clear shield or a smoke shield? It was a clear shield, but oh, okay. I kept burying my head. Oh yeah. Good idea. Yeah, yeah. Good idea. Dude. I mean, that I was, said, that, uh, I said, Greg, I said to Max, Max, you remember what I said to you when I saw you in the pits after the race, you had about a million people around you, but do you remember what I said? Was it about my leathers? Yeah, I said you're. He was still in his leathers, Greg. It was like an hour plus after. Mm. I said yeah, you're never gonna. You're, you're gonna just want to stay in those for the rest. Of, you're never gonna want to <laughs> take them off because you never <laughs> want that. You never want that moment to end because now it's it's like it's a great time to do it at the end of the year because now it's like you got the whole winter. Oh, you know, yeah. I, I'm glad you didn't do it at Coda and then the following weekend have a shit weekend or something. You right, know, it's right. like now you can and. And for me, it's like, I just, it just brought back a lot of great memories and a lot of neat things. And you should be very proud of your accomplishment there. And is this going to be a bike that you'll be on again next year? I'm hoping so. The team's talking to me right now. They, they've got some stuff in the works and yep. they're going to keep me in contact. But after that, they definitely said they wanted me back this year. So yeah, it should be good. But yeah, I think, I think there was a lot of people out there who felt like they were sat on the back of the bike with me oh, and, yeah. for that podium. Yeah, so I, think so I said, I had. I've never had that many people message me and say they were crying. I was like, yeah. I'm like, I don't, I want to make people cry, but you know, but the only thing and, I in a good, in a good like, way, in a good yeah, way, yeah, though, yeah. you know, but I just, I hope no one expects this from me all the time now. Cause man, I gotta, I gotta step it up. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. They're, no. They're, yeah. <laughs> well, the problem is, is you're going to be, you're going to want to relive that feeling. That's the adrenaline that you get. And to Greg's point earlier, Greg, you said, and I and I agree with Greg on this because I've been around him for many, many, many years. Uh, I'm still very emotional when I watch the races in a sense that if I see something that's done poorly or bad or I get one way or the other. And Greg is very, like, stable about the whole thing. He's like, ah, it's just it's the way it is, the job. And But I'll tell you right now that there were two guys in the that, that, that day in the booth. We It's like I just didn't want anything bad to happen. I just, you know, I, I found myself – being that kind of biased guy, Greg, where it was like, I think we both just wanted it to just like, just, we wanted it to play out the way it was. And we just right. didn't want any, any bad bullshit to happen to you. You know what I mean? Like it was just a, it was a great day, I think for, for our sport and for that series. You know, it, it is yeah. kind of, oh, I didn't mean to cut you off, Jay. It is kind of funny because watching you ride on the racetrack was, there are times when I see people that are having their first big success and I get nervous for them because they haven't proved for some reason they were closer or it's just the situation. There wasn't one time when I was watching you race that I was concerned about your performance, that you weren't going to bring it home. What I was concerned about was just looking at the problems that the factory 
Indian motorcycle has had the last couple race weekends where their motors have blown up or something happened. And so I'm sitting there going like, Oh man, come on, just, just, just make it thing like, finish. Yeah. Just finish. And that was, that was uh, thinking about it now. I think, yeah, dude, that's like, I really, I get the feelings. I just don't try to show them, but I, I never <laughs> once thought during that last lap that there was going to be an issue with like you finishing the race, which I thought was cool just because you've yeah. been around long enough and I know that you can get it done, but <laughs> it was, it was, uh, it was something spectacular. There's a couple events I remember living through in my TV career. One of them that stands out, I was a pit reporter for a long time. And I remember I got moved to the booth for one event and it was the first time Tommy Hayden J had won a superbike race. And okay. I remember thinking, I still think to this day, how much I would have liked to have been the pit reporter and mm-hmm. interviewed Tommy Hayden because he had tried a long, long time to win a superbike race at that point. And I remember thinking to myself, I wish I would have been in Winter Circle to do that interview, even though I was so happy to be in the booth. You know, do you, for that. where was that at, Greg? Do you remember? Oh my God. No, I, I had it really clear in my mind like last year. And it's, yeah, I can't remember now. Well, or, I'll, I'll say this, Max. Last week or a week or two ago, Greg said, Hey, there's no racing in a couple weekends. What, you know, like, what are we going to do for the podcast? I'm like, get Max, got to get Max. We got to get him on here because again, it was still something that was resonating with me. And, uh, and you know, the other thing I brought up and, and maybe you can touch on this a little bit is, um, and I've never really asked you why, uh, I don't think, but you know, I'm on the, the on the classes that I don't call, I'm always on the grids because I usually people that I've been lucky enough to work with or kids that I've got to know or see. And I see you out there, you know, wishing everybody good luck at the start of races that you're not even in. Um, I've seen you do it in your leathers. Where did that start and where where was the basis of that? Like how how did that start for you? Um, well, it kind of started at MotoGP at Coda. Uh the guy like we were, you know, we were obviously the kind of sideshow for MotoGP, but like we were always wondering like they never came over to talk or anything and it was kind of strange it was like it would be cool if some of the motor gp guys or we got to go in there but they keep us so separated and then at the next race i was like hey man like technically you know i'm i'm a super bike rider and like i'm not i'm not i'm quite humble i think but <laughs> um i was yeah. like it'd be cool to go out and see some of the younger kids and say good luck so then i started doing it and then one of the marshals was like, man, that was really cool. I hope to see you do that again. And then I started doing it for every class. And I mean, it's probably the best way. One, everyone knows me in the paddock now because I say good luck to everyone. Yep. I um, I get to see all the riders because, you know, being racers, we have helmets on. You don't know who's under the helmet when they're like watching it on TV. So it's cool to see all the different riders. And, dude, some of the kids are so nervous when they're on the grid. And me just going up and be like, hey, man, you got this. Like, good luck. Have fun, and, yeah. Yeah, dude, their parents come up to me afterwards. Like, dude, thank you so much for that. I mean, I've just been some guys in the Twins Cup cra- uh, class that aren't racing anymore. And they're like, dude, that meant so much to me. And they've actually given me a personal sponsor. Not, like, anything crazy, but, hey, yeah. get your next meal. And, like I said, it's just it's something that I've – been very proud of even if i just get off the superbike race even if i just crashed even if it's like i want to get out there because i i feel like i owe it to them now like hey man this mm-hmm. is good luck to y'all like have a good race and like i met a lot of racers doing it made a lot of good friends doing it it's, the other side uh, of that too little max is if you're a privateer and jason doesn't really get this necessarily even though you have people around you, it's still kind of lonely being a privateer, isn't it? Like you're kind of in your own little canopy in your own little world. And you can see off in the distance, the semis, the the people around them and all that kind of stuff. And so it it is a really good way for you to just connect with everyone, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, like you said, we're, we're not always at the front of the pit. We're not always like right there. I mean, um, I don't live where a lot of the racers live. I mean, Chuck Wallace, this huge community, which I would I'd love to go there, but I just don't have the funding to get there. So it's like you, you kind of go and everyone's talking already. So for me to like meet them on the grid when they're not in like big groups and stuff and just say good luck, it's like my own kind of personal way to like chat to people too. So it's, uh, yeah, no, it's, I'm 
definitely gonna keep doing it. It's a bummer when it's a quick start. I'm like, dude, what what the heck? I can't go that fast. That whole COVID that whole COVID year was a bummer for you, eh? That was funny. a rough That's time. Funny. Yeah, rough time. All right, so give us the plans and so so just get us up to date on what you're thinking about for next season. We're gonna see you in the Moto America paddock, we're gonna see you in Medallia Superbike. I'm hoping so. We've got some working going on on the R1, hopefully some new stuff. We've got hopefully a new motor coming because the one I've been on is a year and a half now and it's just not, it's going to blow up. So, mm. so uh, hopefully we'll be out there. We just need to, we need to look into electronics guy right now. That's our yeah. next step. If we can, if we can get somebody, I mean, like I said, this year, Brandon Posh got a chance to go on the M4 team and, uh, I was racing with him last year when he was on the Altus bike and I was battling with him. Sometimes I beat him, sometimes he beat me, but it was normally neck and neck. And for him to jump on a bike with the right electronics, the right team, the right package, and now he's finishing top five, it's, I know in myself I can do it. So if we can just get the package, I'm going to, we're, we're definitely going to stick around until hopefully I get the package. I mean, if you give me a half decent, decent package, like the bagger, man, I'm going to put it on the box for sure. <laughs> well, let's talk about how people can get a hold of you then, because if there's somebody listening to this podcast who maybe has some, some funds or they want to support you, how do they get a hold of you and how would they go about doing it? Uh, best way is probably on Instagram, uh, max 88 Flinders. Uh, just shoot me a message on there. I'm on there all the time, just chatting to people or, watching silly stuff um or facebook i have a facebook group uh max flinders racing and uh uh my uh we have like four people monitoring it at all times so we'd always get the message across so if you want to reach out to me and help out i mean we're we're known as the friendliest team in the paddock and uh man i'm i i try and promote everyone who helps me out as much as i can small big anything so it'd be a huge help for sure <laughs> All right. Well, anything else? Well, first Gabe? off, yeah. First off, nobody listens to our podcast, Max. So you're screwed <laughs> there. Secondly, G Dub, don't think I didn't catch the little dig that I didn't get it. I was a privateer for many, many, many years. So I, I know, know what you that's were. like ninety-two of, to of being there. And, and, and Max, you got to just keep working because you just never know. Um, you got to never lose, never lose faith in the fact that your phone could ring and something could come up, and and that's what you got to just keep working towards. And I agree with you. I think that. You know, back when Greg and I were racing, it was like suspension, suspension, suspension. That's mm -hmm. all you heard about. And now it's electronics, 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 because people are what costs the most money. Getting a good electronics package is important, but getting somebody to run it is even more important. And that could be the key to helping you get that little bit extra result, you know? And it's like, sometimes we're going to spend an exorbitant amount of money for one extra place that we might finish, but those are all going to be experiences that are going to get you better and better. And, um, you know, I know, uh, I know for today, I, I'm, I was really excited to have you on here and uh, I was pumped that you, uh, that you, that you came on with us today and congrats again on a, on a great ride at the last race. And I'm really hoping that something gets put together nicely for you for next year. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. And thanks again for the kind words on the, on the race uh, thing. It's, uh, it meant a lot. It meant a lot. <laughs> you deserved it, Max. I mean, there's no doubt. Yeah. You deserved it and no one can take it away from you as an awesome result. So congratulations. Well, thanks a lot to Max Flinders for joining us on this podcast, and we will follow him during the course of the season. Well, Jay, we're pretty much close to the end of this podcast. We do have MotoGP Indonesia coming up, so any particular yes. thoughts on that? It's going to be an interesting weekend. I've been checking the weather a little bit. Uh, possible rain on Friday, but it looks pretty clean on Saturday, Sunday. That track, Greg, doesn't I, – I, you know, just going overseas like I've been going lately, getting a lot of words on, on certain racetracks around the country or around the world. That is one that they love the layout, but it's always in such shitty condition. It blows me away that a brand new racetrack like that can be in such crap condition with a four or five foot line. That's uh, as far as the width of the line goes um, on a 40 foot wide track. Um, it's going to be the title chase now is getting close. It's Martin and Bagnaya, but Zeki, this is the weekend where I think that he starts to fade a little bit because of his injury. I'll probably have to start putting that uh, thought process into the championship for next year. Um, I think three races on the trot are going to be a little bit too difficult for him myself. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, we've seen the KTMs do well here in the past in the rain with Oliveira. Um, but, but yeah, it's going to be going to be another crazy weekend there. I mean, if you're a Peko fan, now's the weekend. You're going to go three in a row and Martin already has the momentum. If Peko doesn't stop Jorge Martin in this first race, Martin could win out the rest of the season. Well, it's, it's, you know, they got these, the sprint races. There's so many things that can happen. And I mm -hmm. think, 
the, the, the big question here is the track. It's, it's a very, very difficult place to pass, and qualifying is going to be at a premium at this, this weekend more than anything. Um, for us, it's great because it comes on, you know, I can actually watch the races. The, you know, they're almost a full day ahead, right? So I can, I can watch the races in the evenings, which is nice. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to, uh, to seeing how it plays out. I mean, these are the next, the next three weekends are huge for MotoGP, Moto2, Moto3. I saw Suzuki got canned, uh, Tetsuya Suzuki, I think it is, got canned from the, uh, Leopard team. So they, mm. So even there's a, there's there's a lot of things happening over there right now, and uh, we'll have a lot to talk about next week. I think World Superbike doesn't come on till the like uh, Halloween the weekend, like end of the month. Yeah, so for there. So yeah, yep. yeah, we got fantasy. So make sure you guys. Yes. There's gonna be big shakeups there. I got. You should see the team I already got in place for fantasy. Max, are you are you doing fantasy with us? Do you do any fantasy? Uh no, man, I'm I'm working too much. There you go. So there, Max working. <laughs> <laughs> That's a shot across the bow right there. I'm I not shooting ask. archery. You're golfing. Max is busy trying to set his future, and we're all like, Correct. "Hey, buddy, you got an extra five minutes? You can do motor." Hey, what about our fantasy. What about our fantasy, Max? You know what I mean? Um, so yeah. Um, no. <laughs> well, anyway, it's a Greg's Garage Pod with Jason Pridmore with apostrophe S. If you're looking for it, join the podcast. The winner for the season gets an Arai helmet and Dunlop Q5s, and you'll get Q5s if you're the second place, and Q5s if you're third. However. We haven't decided yet, but anyone involved in the pool, no matter what your finishing result, you have a chance to win a one-on-one day with Jason Pridmore at Chuck Walla Valley Raceway sometime this winter. And that is training that you will take the rest of your life. Whether you're a street rider or a track rider, it makes no difference. Jason's teaching is solid. Mm. It's a solid foundation oh, yeah. for riding. No, listen, I'm an advocate, all right? If, if, if he doesn't teach you body <laughs> position properly, don't worry about it. You come you to the race, I'll don't. work with you. I'll work with you. I'm the body position guy. I don't know, right? If you're you the guy, know. you're the guy, you're the guy talking me up. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. whatever. Anyway, anyways, Max, anyways. you got something, you, got something you want to say about this whole situation? Oh no, I was gonna say, dude. I I know he's good on the track. First year of Brainerd, we went there. I was like, who's this guy in front of me? And I was like, oh, that's Jason. I'm like, dang, dude, he's a <laughs> Oh, the practice awesome. day, Thursday practice day. Yeah, yeah he was he was rolling all right. It. Yeah, I taught him everything he does. He did. Hey, he did. He did. Max. He taught me everything. Max taught me I, all. I am older than him. I got him by. How many hey, I'm working on a five months. I'm working on a. I'm working on a test ride at Mid Ohio when we go back there. You know, because they got to go testing, right? They're going to go test tires, right? Yeah, they have to. I'm pretty sure. There you go. It just, so this depends if we get an invite or not. <laughs> You'll get an invite. I'm work. I'm working on a ride there, G Dub. Cool. That's my, that's, that's awesome. my next, that's my next big comeback. Dude, Max, Max, I don't know if you ever watched old races and I'm not really trying to blow smoke up JP's ass, but the dude Uh-oh. is magic at mid Ohio. He's good. He's good. Yeah. Oh, almost one, almost one, but podium Donna Yosh Superbike back in the day. We'll go, we'll go rip some laps there, Max. We'll go. Hey, some yeah, laps. That'd, That'd be, be a blast. It'd be so fun. That all right, well, that, all right, enough of this podcast, all right? Max, thanks again <laughs> for joining us. Jason, why don't you set, send us off, and I'll play the music and do all the good stuff. Yeah, hey, Max, thanks again, man. It was an b- absolute pleasure having you on. Wishing nothing but the best for all of you that are uh, avid listeners. Thanks so much for listening to us. Have a great weekend. Enjoy MotoGP from Indonesia and GW, and I will see you next week.